Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we get to meet together today to hear your word. Pray that you'll be with us as we listen to your word. And we pray um, that you'll help us to listen well. Uh, and for Dave as he preaches as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I say nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is, what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Campbell South uh, Anglican Church. Uh, my name is Dave Shannon, uh, and it's my privilege uh, to uh, bring to you uh, uh, John 18 this morning. I wonder how you feel when you let someone down. When you hurt someone by the things you've said, things you've, you've done or not done, when you've promised to do something but you haven't delivered, we can become angry at ourselves, feel great shame and sadness and guilt because we wish things were different. And these feelings of, of guilt and shame may lead us to question how the other person may feel about us. We may think, they're not going to forgive us. They'll be angry and yell at me and not be my friend anymore. Uh, there's this book we read at home about Cecil. Uh, Cecil's a sheep. He's the one missing sheep from the 100. You know, in Luke 15, where the, the shepherd leaves the 99 uh, to find the one? Well, that's Cecil. And after getting lost and stuck up a mountain, Cecil doesn't want to call out for help because he thinks... Uh, knows, he thinks he knows how the shepherd will respond. And so he says this, I could shout for help, but what if the shepherd finds me? He might whack me with a big stick. Crack! Then 
drag, grab me by the leg and drag me home, bump, 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 and tie me to a tree without any dinner. And while this describes what a child uh, might think, we can have really similar feelings when we've done the wrong thing and let people down with our feelings of, of shame and guilt. Oh, if they really knew what I'd done, if they really knew what I'm like. And at times we may feel the same about God. If God really knew what I'd done, would he save me? If he knew exactly what I was like, would he forgive me? We can question and disqualify ourselves because of the, because of the things we think, because of the great shame and guilt and remorse of what we have done. And while we may feel like this, what we see this morning in John's Gospel is that Jesus knows exactly what we're like, and yet he still dies to save us. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, betrays and denies Jesus three times. And being betrayed, it's an awful experience, isn't it? I'm sure at some point in your life you have felt betrayed, even to, to a little little degree. You know, when, when a trusted friend you shared a personal struggle with starts blaming it around, uh, sharing it with uh, many other people, the emotion, the, the, it's, it's, it's a hard emotion being betrayed. And as fallen, flawed people, I'm sure we too have betrayed others. But Jesus, the, the Lord Almighty, God in the flesh, he's betrayed three times by Peter, one of his closest friends. And while we might think, surely, if Jesus knew what he was like, he wouldn't save Peter. And yet Jesus knows exactly what he's like, and still dies to save him. But before Peter denies Jesus, Jesus is brought to Annas. Last week we saw that Jesus was arrested in the garden. And, and we kind of continue from that point. Verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander uh, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest of that year. You see, Jesus is taken to Annas for a preliminary trial. He's brought to Annas first before uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, Caiaphas, he was the high priest that year, but actually better describe it as that time. But here lies the tricky thing with this passage. Because you see, in verse 19, it is Annas that is speaking. But we see there that he's described as the high priest. And so, is it Annas or Caiaphas who's high priest? You see, Annas was high priest. He was the high priest from 6 to 15 A.D., but this role of high priest, it was removed from him. You see, the Romans, they liked to flex their power. And if a high priest got ahead of themselves or was causing a sour taste for the Romans, well, the Romans would, would remove them from that role. And so for whatever reason, we're not sure what it is, Annas was removed as high priest. And yet, he still had incredible influence over the people. Because the people saw his removal as high priest. They saw it as arbitrary, as lame. And so many still considered Annas as the true, real high priest. Because a high priest was normally replaced after they died. 
And so while Caiaphas is the high priest by title, many saw Annas as the real high priest and saw him as the true authority. And so Jesus is brought to Annas first so that he could decide what would happen to Jesus in advance. And then after that's decided, well, Annas would, would send him to, to Caiaphas. And Annas was considered the true power behind Caiaphas. And so the first interrogation before anyone else, well, that is done by Annas. But before this interrogation takes place, we're actually reminded of something there in verse 14, of something Caiaphas had said earlier. In John 11, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and many people were believing in Jesus. And so after that, in, in uh, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. The authorities were concerned about the effect Jesus had on the people. They thought he was causing a ruckus and commotion and would lead to an uprising, and so they feared the Romans would come in, flex their power and squash Jesus and them as the authorities for for not being able to control their people. You see, they're not really concerned about Jesus. Otherwise, they would have listened to him and seen, actually, this is God in the flesh, God's promised future king. But they're concerned about losing their power and control over the people. Power and control given to them by the Romans. And so up steps Caiaphas with the great political suggestion. It's better that one man dies rather than the whole nation perish. You see, in his mind, he's thinking, Jesus, he's the troublemaker. If we squash him, then we're all good. We keep our power. One man dies, not us. And yet completely unawares, he prophesied, he foretold the plan of God. You see, Jesus would die in place of his people. One man would die to save many, many others. And see, this was part of God's sovereign plan. But to Caiaphas, it was a political move. And the others, well, they agreed. And so since that point, since John 11, they have plotted to kill Jesus. And now they have their men. Jesus, he's arrested and he's ready to be interrogated by Annas. Have a look there at verse uh, 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple uh, where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. 
why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what's wrong, what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Annas here interrogates and questions Jesus. And his sore point, his, his big issue with Jesus is his teaching, his theology. And, and we see in the t- trial, this interrogation, that, that Annas is hell-bent. He is determined to incriminate Jesus. He'll do whatever he can to get his result. He'll lie, he'll cheat, he'll break the law and rules, because Jesus must die. <clears throat> and that's what we see in these verses. You see, this trial, this interrogation that takes place, it's actually completely illegal. At that time, there were particular rules uh, put in place for how a person should face, uh, receive a, a fair trial and hearing. But you see, for Jesus, all of these are thrown out the window. You see, the first thing is that, that the judge wasn't to ask questions. They were to remain silent and weigh up the evidence. But for Jesus, well, Annas is he's leading the interrogation, asking the questions. Second, Only witnesses were to be interrogated. The accused was never interrogated. But for Jesus, well, there's no witnesses for him. And he speaks for himself. Uh, Third, uh, the accused, the, the witnesses for the accused, they were always questioned first. But for Jesus, well, there's no witnesses. And so it kind of makes sense what he says there in verse 20. I spoke openly in lots of places. You'll find witnesses anywhere. Find them and and ask them. You see, Jesus is calling for a fair trial. I've got many witnesses. Go go speak to any one of them. And when Jesus says here that he said nothing in secret, he's not saying that he hasn't had private conversations. Of course he's had private conversations. Uh, But rather that he's, he's teaching and message in, in public and private are exactly the same. He doesn't have some secret, special, hidden knowledge that's only revealed to some. No, no, no. What he does, says in the open and in private is the same. Which makes me think of some of the, the religious uh, sects or, or cults that are, that are out there that pride themselves on the secretive and extra inf- uh, knowledge that comes when you go climb the ranks and entice people into a darker web of information. Oh, once you've climbed up to this level, then you'll be enlightened. But see, not so Christians. We openly and happily tell people who we are and what we believe. We hide nothing. And you see, that's the point here. Jesus has hidden nothing. You want to know what he's been speaking about? Speak to the witnesses. Speak to the people and you will see that I am innocent. But Annas has a deadly agenda, and nothing, not even the truth or the law, will stop him. Well, well the fourth uh, uh, thing that shows that this is a, a, an illegal trial is the judgment was to be made based on the testimony of witnesses. And if the witnesses agreed with each other, well, the accused would be doomed. But if they disagreed, well, they were both thrown out. But for Jesus, as we see in other Gospels, the testimony that that is brought, it doesn't agree. 
And finally, uh, hitting an accused person, an accused person during an interrogation was forbidden. But for Jesus, well, he is slapped in the face. And so Jesus responds, If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Jesus is saying, give me a fair trial. I've done nothing wrong. Find the witnesses you're meant to find and you'll see I'm innocent. What have I done to be treated like this? But Annas doesn't care. They're not, they're not listening to Jesus in the past and they're not going to start listening to him now. In, in their mind, getting rid of Jesus means they can continue as is. Their power and status and control will be theirs. If Jesus dies, he won't rock the boat and we can remain in control with all our power. But you see, their, their response here, they're thinking it's self-preservation. It's, it's keeping the status quo. They are self-serving, self-centered and selfish. Because if they really listened to Jesus, they would be giving up their power and status. But in self-preservation, Jesus must die. And you see, this is the heart of sin. A rejection and rebellion against God and his word. Up yours, God. I don't want to uh, lose the power and status I have and the privileges I have uh, uh, that I'll have to give up if I serve you. And say, no thanks. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And yet, what is going on here is God's good plan. Jesus willingly, obediently, in full control, gave himself up to be arrested and would die to save us. You see, one man must die for us, for our rebellion and sin against God, that we may be saved. Jesus is brought before Annas. And, and in this illegal trial that takes place, they do so so that they will not lose their power and status. They are driven by self-preservation and self-centeredness. We've seen that Annas and the religious authorities act in their own self-interest. They, they don't want to lose their power and control and so push hard to seek Jesus' death. They're seeking self-preservation, self-centered and selfishness. And I wonder if you notice as you read through that Peter responds really similarly. He too is seeking self-preservation and self-seeking, hoping to get out of the situation he's found himself in unscathed. It's interesting how the passage is really split like this, where we see Peter and then Jesus' reply. You see, Jesus faces intense questioning by the highest Jewish authority, the high priest, and as he faces this interrogation, he stands up to their questioning and he denies nothing. But the contrast is stuck. Peter, he cowers and recoils before those who question him. Peter denies everything right, to, in self-preservation and self-seeking. Well, after Jesus' arrest, uh, Peter follows along. And thanks to another disciple's connections, he's able to get into the high priest's courtyard. And, and the other disciple, it's, it's most likely John, the one who wrote this gospel. 
Uh, he regularly remind, remains unnamed uh, in his account. Anyway, Peter is there. He's in the courtyard. And the female servant who opened the door uh, for him asks there in verse 17, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Maybe at this point Peter just wanted to get inside and not engage in conversation with this woman. But then again, when asked by those standing around the fire with him in verse 25, you are one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. You see, Peter, Peter's asked by the lowly in society, not the high priest, not the high one with massive authority, no, 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 the lowly, the servants. And yet he crumbles and denies Jesus. And yet this is the same Peter who only hours earlier had said, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. But when the pressure was on, when the heat was on, he denies everything. You see, Peter crumbles, but Jesus stands firm. And after denying Jesus for the third time, the rooster crowed. Just like Jesus foretold in John 13, Peter would deny him three times. You see, being a disciple of Jesus wasn't a criminal offence. But maybe he thought if Jesus was found guilty and, and killed, then it would incriminate him. Or because he drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant, then maybe he would be arrested for assault. Whatever the reason, Jesus, Peter now denies Jesus with, with an instinct of self-preservation and self-serving so that he won't be incriminated and end up like Jesus. I wonder uh, if you have that friend who does embarrassing things. You know when they do something embarrassing and you, you try to distance yourself with them and you say, oh, oh no, I'm not really that guy. Oh, who is that guy? You know you know that guy? Uh, well, that's me. I, I'm, I, I can be that guy sometimes. Uh, once a few years ago, uh, I was in a Macca's car park and I saw someone wearing pyjamas in the middle of the day. And I was like, man, that's crazy. I've got to go investigate this. And so after talking to this guy for a while, before I knew it, here I am getting a piggyback from this guy I don't even know in the middle of a Macca's car park. And when I looked around for my friends, high up on this guy's back, I couldn't see them anywhere. They were hiding, hiding behind cars, embarrassed by me. And I wonder if that's how Peter's feeling here. You see, Jesus is arrested. He's incriminated, about to die. And so he distances himself from Jesus. He denies him with, with an instinct of self-preservation and self-serving. He doesn't want to end up like Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus knows exactly what Peter's like. He's already told him, you're going to deny me three times. And yet Jesus still dies to save him. We might have heard people say, as, as a passage like this is preached, uh, Let's not be like Peter. Let's not deny Jesus. I'm not going to say that today. I'm not going to say that. Because here's the thing. Jesus, under the pump, he fails. And yet Jesus still dies for him. Jesus knows what his disciples are like. And he still dies for them. And you see, this isn't the end for Peter. There's this great scene right at the end of the gospel where Jesus shows great mercy and grace in forgiving and restoring Peter. And that is a great reminder for us. We will, like Peter, deny God at some point. 
daily, in our actions, in our words, when we sin and fall short of, of God's righteous standard for us. And you see, Jesus will forgive us too. You see, Jesus knows exactly what we're like. He knows that we struggle with sin. And so he wants us to come to him in repentance and faith. And like Peter, he'll shower us with, with mercy and grace and forgiveness. You see, Jesus isn't requiring sinless perfectionism. The lie and heresy that we can somehow live a completely sinless life here and now, it is not possible. It is actually a rejection of God and his good word that we can live perfectly without Jesus. But you see, Jesus knows what we are like. And he doesn't expect sinless perfectionism from us. Instead, he wants us to humbly repent. He doesn't want us to not deny the fact that we struggle with sin. He doesn't want us to to pretend that we don't have anger problems, that we struggle with pornography, that we can be proud, selfish, that maybe in the time of COVID-19 we've become lazy or, or lost our zeal for him. You see, God doesn't want us to deny these things. He wants us to acknowledge that we struggle with them and to repent and turn away from them, that we may humbly come to him, recognise our failures in need of a saviour. You see, Peter wanted to be the hero and save Jesus, but he couldn't. Peter needed to be saved just like us. We too need to be saved by the one true hero in this story, and that is Jesus, who willingly and obediently dies on the cross to save us so that we would come humbly to him and seek his mercy. Well, how wonderful is that? Well, let's let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we give you great thanks for our Lord Jesus, who went under the pump, under pressure, under intense interrogation, did not deny you stood up to the truth, heading to the cross. And although Peter denied you, and we too can deny you in our actions, in our rebellion and sin, and for that we are so sorry, we do pray that you would so help us to uh, live for you and to serve you always. Not to pretend that that we don't sin, not to pretend that we don't struggle with stuff, but to recognise that we do. to to acknowledge it before you, to come humbly uh, before you in repentance and faith and trust. We thank you as we see at the very end of the gospel. Here Peter denies Jesus, and yet we see that grace and mercy and forgiveness are offered to him and are offered to us for when we trust in you. And so when we fall short of your standards, may we please be led to repentance and, and faith and trust in you. We thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.